Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Run It Like a Girl. The crew is currently busy preparing for Season 2. But in the meantime, please enjoy this rebroadcast of Run It Like a Girl's Top 10 Most Listened to Interviews. Up next, Belleville Police Inspector Sherry Meeks. Inspector Sherry Meeks has risen through the ranks at the police service in her hometown of Belleville, Ontario, about two hours east of Toronto. She says mentorship has played an important role in her professional and personal development in the 20-plus years since she was hired as a constable. Don't change who you are in order to to be in this position. Change the position to adapt to you and your style. So that was probably the best advice that I got. Sherry has served in a wide variety of roles within the Belleville Police Service, including time as a detective constable in the sexual assault unit, where she dealt with some heavy investigations, including crimes against children. She was promoted to the rank of inspector in late 2016 and was assigned the role of inspector of operations in charge of the uniformed division, which includes all frontline officers. Sherry talks about her career, her struggles to maintain a healthy work-life balance, and the specific challenges women have traditionally faced in policing. I don't think it's as maybe bad as it used to be. (laughs) Um, I think the messages got it out there. Um, But yeah, when I started, there was definite probably, you know, misconceptions and, you know, I have to be the tough one. I have to be, you know, I have to change who I am to show that I am aggressive, you know, can show aggression or become involved in a physical confrontation. The inspiring and well-spoken Inspector Sherry Meeks on this episode of Run It Like a Girl. Today we are in downtown Belleville at the Belleville Police Service, where we're speaking with Inspector Sherry Meeks. Sherry, thank you so much for joining us for an episode of Run It Like a Girl. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be a part of this. Let's dig right in. How about we start with you telling us a bit about your background, how you got into policing, and and what your career journey has looked like. Sure. My decision to come to become a police officer is is an unusual path, to say the least, because a lot of people... Um, decide they want to be a police officer very early on, or they have family members that are police officers as well. So they have that background to run ideas off of, or just see the experience. I didn't have any of that. Um, so I originally decided I was going to be a French teacher and went through the process. And the reason why is because I had lived in France and was on a French exchange. So that really got me excited about the French language and wanting to teach others about it. So I went into the University of Waterloo with that career path in mind and probably within the first, I would say, semester, I quickly realized this is not probably what I wanted to do. And so without going into every step-by-step that I took along the way is I had the opportunity um, in my cooperative education at Waterloo to do, I was a probation officer at Jane and Finch in Toronto for young offenders. I worked at a jail for young offenders also as part of a work term. And I got to meet a lot of interesting people and uh, a lot of police officers. And so I knew the law, I was passionate about the law and decided I was going to be in the legal field somehow. So I say that, however, (laughs) I ended up going to teacher's college. And the reason I did, it was interesting. It was a mentor of mine and one of my placements said to me, 
I was in a school environment inside the custodial facility. And he said, uh, Sherry, what are, what are your plans after you get your undergrad degree? And I said, well, I'm thinking law. I'm thinking lawyer. I'm thinking something down in, along those lines. And he said, what about teacher's college? And I said, well, I don't want to be a teacher. And he said, I know you don't want to be a teacher, but I'm telling you that that degree, will, you will use that at some capacity in your life at some point because it just – just the degree itself and the education and all of that. So he says it's eight more months of your life. So much to my mother's happiness, because my mom has wanted me to be a teacher from the moment I think I was born, I went to teacher's college and I enjoyed it thoroughly, but I knew my heart of hearts, that's not what I wanted to do. And I'd continued to have uh, friendships with police officers and continue to love that part of it. So when the opportunity presented itself and I saw that Belleville police were hiring. I was still in teacher's college. Um, I applied to three different police services and, um, Belleville started a process with me while I was still actively (laughs) going to teacher's college and doing my practicums and all that. And the rest is history. I uh, graduated teacher's college in April and I got an offer of employment and was, heading to the, the Ontario Police College in May. So I missed my I missed my graduation for Teachers College because I was on my way to the police college for the next 12 weeks. Have, have there been mentors that have, have helped you and guided you along your career journey? Mentorship is extremely important and it's something I don't think we do enough of. Um, in policing, it's difficult. It's a difficult thing, especially, I'll be perfectly honest, for a female officer, there's not too many um, females in policing Um obviously compared to males, especially once you get to leadership positions, it becomes even more difficult. So for me though, I was extremely uh, lucky. I guess that's what you'd call it when I got hired here because I had a female coach officer who retired as a sergeant here, but there was a lot of things that she taught me. Um, She was very intelligent um, and had a lot of great skills as an investigator. But one of the things she taught me is that she said, Sherry, look, I understand we're police officers. This is, we're, but we're females. And she says, one thing I don't want you to ever forget is you're still a female. You're still a woman. You don't have to lose that in order to become a police officer. And it was probably one of the most valuable tips because I didn't have to change who I was to fit a possible mold or whatever the perception out there in the public was, or even within the police culture as I didn't have to change, didn't have to become a man in order to fit in. So I imagine, uh, you know, some women who wouldn't have got that advice, uh, feel like they are trying to constantly fit in with their colleagues who are in large, predominantly male. Yep. I believe that you see that sometimes. I don't think it's as maybe bad as it used to be. (laughs) Um, I think the message has gotten out there. Um, but yeah, when I started, there was definite probably, you know, misconceptions and, you know, I have to be the tough one. I have to be, you know, I have to change who I am to show that I am aggress, you know, can show aggression or become involved in a physical confrontation. As a, as a female police officer, do you think you've had to, you know, prove yourself any differently than your male colleagues would have to do? It's like a two-parter on that one because do I feel that I've been denied any opportunities because I'm a female in policing? Absolutely not. Um, Do I feel that I've had to prove myself differently throughout my career? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, um, and whether that's my own perception or not, um, I think that for, for sometimes for a man, 
they can prove themselves very early on in this career that they can hold their own. And I think for females, we tend to have to do that repeatedly in order to get the same amount of respect um, in this career. And I think at every stage, no matter what, you, you at every stage, you have to prove yourself in that role, right? Because the role that I'm in now is obviously very different than the role that I've been in previous. Uh, so, so yes, there, it's like a two, I, I don't believe that I was denied any opportunities here because I was a female. However, I do feel that I could go to the same, I could go to calls and if a male officer did the same thing, he, he's good to go and he's not going to have to prove himself over and over and over again. What about the public's perception of a female police officer? It's kind of a neat question. Sometimes it works very, very well. Um, and sometimes it doesn't work at all, depending on the individual that you're dealing with. So for example, in my, at least in my experience, I can't speak for every female police officer out there, but in my experience, you would deal with some males and they would be extremely respectful and would not want to, they would, they would, they would apologize for swearing. They would say, sorry, ma'am. Right. There would, they wouldn't want to be physically, they would not get involved in a physical confrontation. They respected your authority, but it was different, right? There was that that respect of you're a female and I'm not, uh, not going to punch you. I'm not going to swear in front of you. Then you would have the whole opposite, which is, oh, you're a, I'm not talking to you. I'm going to talk to that male police officer or you be talking to them. You're right. And they would look at the male and want him to engage because they don't want to talk to you. So that's just a different, that would be, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but that was my experience. And sometimes it worked a lot to my advantage to be a female because you could diffuse the situation. Whereas if a male officer was there, they might just want to go physical because they got to prove themselves that I took on the male officer. Whereas if you take on a female officer, there's not really a culture out there to say, good for you for beating up a female police officer. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's so it can work. It's, it can work both ways. Right. You know, when I think of uh, police officers and other first responders who I just have the utmost respect for, uh, you know, it's all about caring for people and, and about community. Uh, did, th- did that play a large role in why you chose this field? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you know that policing, you're helping people, you have that legal aspect as well and holding people accountable for behavior, right? But, you know, it, it does sound like a bit of a coined answer to say, yeah, that's exactly why I got into it to help people. But yeah, that's a huge component, that people, person, that caring, that compassion Um, if you get into it and you simply want to like pull your firearm and, and that's not the kind of people that we should be looking for. And I don't think we do anymore. Might've been in the past. I know that in the past, if you looked at recruiting in the past, it was like, um, there was stat, there was, um, height requirements. There was, you know, there was a lot of requirements that were physical requirements. It's not so much that way anymore, obviously. And that's why I think when I was a detective and you're dealing with victim centered crimes, that was where I was at my best. And I mean that by just by, cause at the end of the day, you were helping people by holding other people accountable and putting people that had done bad things away. Cause I remember my daughter and I walking through the mall once and she was quite young and, and, uh, one of the people that I had dealt with, uh, in a serious investigation had run up to me and hi, you know, and hi Sherry and a hug and, And my daughter was confused and said, who was that mom? Who was, and I said, somebody did something very bad to that individual and, and I helped them because that's the straight, simple answer to it. That's exactly what I did. I helped them 
get through this by dealing with that individual that had done something bad to them. So I tried to break it down because that's at the end of the day, I'm breaking it down to a child's level, but that's exactly what it is. We're here to help other people, whether it's solving problems, helping them solve a problem or assisting them because something's been done to them that shouldn't have been done. And we're now trying to hold somebody accountable based on the laws. You know, when someone's really passionate about their, uh, their career, we found that, uh, work life and, and personal life do tend to blend. Uh, so I'd be very interested to know what, uh, what, what does work life balance look like for you? Good question. Because I can tell you that it's changed throughout my career and I'm very fortunate that I have a supportive husband who is able to dial me in. I say dialing in, dialing back, whatever, because there have been stages in my career where I lost sight of that. And I, this has been one of those times when I started this because of the demands and the hours and the expectations and telling myself it's okay that you don't put in 60 hours a week. And, uh, realizing that I have a family, even though their demands, their needs have changed because they're not young anymore. They still have needs and they still need to have me there. So for example, I'll give you an example. So when I was in the sexual assault unit, I had toddlers, like my kids were young. Um, and because you're dealing with such heavy topics, um, heavy investigations, um, which could cause mental, a lot of mental anguish. I really had to learn and so, and I think I look back and I probably did some things that, you know, to my kids that I shouldn't have. And when I mean that, I mean, uh, scaring them almost to stranger danger and things like that, because I was so, uh, I was seeing all the negative, right? I couldn't get out of that negative. And, and so, you know, <laughs> my daughter now who will soon be 15 reminds me of that of how, because I, I started to see this fear that, you know, everybody, everybody you have to be leery of because I wouldn't allow sleepovers when my kids were young. There was certain things that just carried over. So I would have to say to my husband, is this the cop part coming out of me? Or is this just a parent thing? And he would say, no, no, that's reasonable. That's maybe not reasonable, right? Like you're way above what you're way heightened to stuff that, you know, um, and I had to be careful what I told him because I don't want to traumatize him with some of the stuff that I'm being exposed to. So there was that for me was that crossover of the investigative part of it going into um, my home life and the hours away for some investigations and, you know, realizing I had to find a balance that was because I could see it was getting a bit out of control. I'm not ashamed to admit this. I've given mental health talks at the police, uh, at Loyalist college several times. Cause they ask us, they ask that question all the time, work-life balance, work-life balance. I said, I do just like you go to the doctor and you get your physical checkup. I've done the mental health checks when I go, you know what, this is getting to be a bit much and I'm holding anger. Or I'm holding something I need to go talk to someone. So I think if more people did that sometimes and recognize that, it would be better for them all around because it's that whole balance, right? So if you were transported back in time and had the opportunity to sit down with your with a former 20-year-old version of yourself for lunch, uh, what kind of conversation would it be? What, what advice would you be giving? I think what I would say is don't worry so much about doing things for other people to impress other people. Um, or because they want you to do something, do something because you want to do it. Um, and it makes you feel 
happy. Because I think when you're in your twenties, you, and I'm not, it's not to say you don't have insecurities when you get older, but I think you're all about what does other people want me to do? What, what I have to look a certain way. I have to act a certain way. It's a popularity thing. And, uh, I would say, do what, what your heart's telling you to do, right? What, what your passion's telling you to do, do that. Don't worry about what other, somebody else is telling you, what they think you should be doing. Earlier on uh, in the conversation, we, we talked about uh, a mentor who had a big impact in your life, in your early career. I was just wondering, as you've been taking on more senior roles, are, are there mentors who are still playing a role in your career development? Yes, um, absolutely. Uh, I, uh, I have a person that's a mentor to me now in a senior leadership position with a vast amount of experience. Um, that is kind of in terms of the role that I'm in now has got the experience to help me and support me. And I find mentorship, the big thing with mentorship is a support mechanism because sometimes you don't get that you, you see in some, and I don't know what it's like in other, because I've been so long here, but sometimes you get a competitive aspect going on. And that's the last thing you need. You need someone to support you in that role and provide you with some guidance to say, have you thought about this? Not giving you the answer, Right because that's not really being a true mentor is helping you find the answer. So he's been invaluable in that respect because I'm telling, I'm, I'm, I tell myself this often that if I had taken this role, um, and didn't have that, I think I would have been in trouble. I would have been in trouble. I, I would have managed and would have been able to do the job, but I think personally I would have had a lot of trouble because, um, I would have lacked that, that, necessary guidance with someone who had been through a lot already previously in their career and had done different roles, different organization, different police organization, but just, yeah. So now my goal is to try to provide that mentorship to other people because I did it informally a lot out there and helped people try to apply to different positions when I was out there as a supervisor. But yeah, we have to do a better job of that uh, for, I think every organization has to do a better job of that, um, trying to get some type of whether it be informal or formal mentoring program and for succession planning as well. Right. Just to, and it's, it's not just about the job itself. It's about finding you. I mean, the best advice this person gave to me because I was scared about changing who I was to be in this position. Cause I'd seen it happen um, to other people. And he said, don't change yourself to fit the position, fit the position to you, to your personality. So don't change who you are in order to, to be in this position, change the position to adapt to you and your style. So that was probably the best advice that I got. You hear about some people who, as they become more and more senior, they actually start to change their personality changes and, and they no longer are that same person they were when they first began. I was wondering, how do you, how do you try to make sure that doesn't happen to you, that you remain authentic and true to who you are? Yeah, I don't, I, I've told myself and I've told people around me that if they start seeing me go down a path where I don't even recognize you anymore, you need to call me on that. Because sometimes you get into that. You get into you've got a job to do and you start forgetting your core, like what your core is. Because I've always, I've always cared. I've always cared. And I thought the moment I stopped caring and talking, I hate to say this, but talking management talk type thing and us versus them mentality, then I got to do a rebalance and a recheck on that because you get sucked into that sometimes. We do in every job, right? In every position. But I, I thought I cannot, I still at the very base, I became a police officer because I cared about people. I've done different jobs here because I cared. 
I don't want this to change who I am at the very core. So we talked a, a bit earlier about community, and you're actually from uh, the Quinney region, which is the same area that, that you are a police inspector in. How, how did coming back here play a role in, in your career? Yeah, I mean, uh, timing is everything. We always say that. But um, my parents, my two bro- older brothers and I, we were raised just north of here. And so I had a strong sense of the ties to this community. My parents both worked full time in this in Belleville. And so, but I did want to leave. Don't get me wrong. I wanted to leave when I, when I went to France, that was my eye opener. Oh, there's a whole big world out there. So going away to university was fantastic for me. I was ready for it. Um, and trying different like Waterloo and then going to Toronto and my work terms, every work term I ever had was in Toronto. So I was very much in tune to this is the big city living. I don't really want a part of this. I want to, you know, so the very fact I just got so lucky that the position when I was in teacher's college, like I said, came up for Belleville. I was like, oh my gosh, I can actually go back and police in the very community that my parents work, that I was basically raised in this whole region. Um, I was like, I may actually be able to make a difference in the community that I was raised in. So although when I first got hired, I didn't live here because I was, my husband was working in Oshawa and we were doing a commute. We decided though, very early on that if we were going to have children, there was no way that we were both going to be commuting. We had to put roots. And I just got extremely fortunate that my parents were, Hey, would you like to build next to us? We can sever off some property and that, I mean, timing is everything. I was like, absolutely. So I was still working here, but I was able to actually live and work in the community. And we've been here ever since. Inspector Meeks, I can't thank you enough for joining us today and for being uh, on an episode of Run It Like a Girl. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. I've had a great time. Run It Like a Girl is hosted by Bonnie Moak. Brian Long is the producer. Web design and technical assistance provided by Dan Moak. And music courtesy of the talented Brooklyn Gillichuk.